I love God's people, but just as Paul wrote to the Church of Corinth or the Galatians regarding the very serious sins that were plaguing the church. So today we write to you because today not only are there very serious sins that are plaguing the church, especially in the West today, many are ignoring these sins. So I want to submit to you that similarly to what happened in the first century, where many of the religious men were lifting certain commandments, certain laws above others, neglecting the weightier matters of the law. So similar things have happened today where we are very focused on certain instructions, commandments, and we parade them as important and we point the finger at certain sins, but we neglect many weightier matters of the law. In that vein, we are really blinded to the very things that we do while we are busy pointing the finger at what others are doing. Today, we are going to be spending some time looking at seven sins the church ignores. And when we say the church, of course, it's important to state that we are not talking about every believer. We're not talking about every church. We're not talking about everyone, but we are talking in a general sense to many different denominations that are guilty of some of these different ones, these sins we will be touching on here today. I want to start off by just sharing that I believe that the Western church as we have it today, it's a little the challenges we are facing are a little different from the ones that the Church of Corinth or the Church of Galatia uh, faced. We don't have a problem of lack. We have a problem of access in our culture, a problem of overindulgence. And so the sins that we are most likely to fall into are sins that are not committed out of a lack, but sins that we commit out of our access, which cause us to be distracted, take our eyes off God and really please the flesh causing us to miss what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The first sin that we want to talk about here today is that of adultery or pornography addictions. And this sin is such a pervasive sin because, of course, it is a, a sexual, it's a lust focused sin. And that is something that both men and women struggle with. In our culture, the whole idea of sort of figuring out who you are, sleeping around, seeing what you like and what the other person, all these different things, that's seen as normal in our culture, of course. But in the church, it has snuck in and also become seen as somewhat normal, or at least we just, we don't talk about it. We've seen many cases, we've heard it on the media, of pastors, of youth pastors, of priests who have been found out to have uh, taken advantage of someone sexually, could you have slept with someone out of wedlock, all these horrible situations and stories that are happening in our churches and especially in these stories in the leadership and how horrific and horrible that is. But why are we not talking about this? It comes down to you know, what we're calling this video since that have been ignored in that a lot of it has only come to light when they've been found out to the highest degree, right? Like a lot of the things that happened in the Catholic Church uh, over the last years, these terrible sexual sins found in leaderships, that has exploded in the way it has because it's been kept under wraps. It's been ignored. It has, was never fully addressed the way it needed to be. And so similarly, not just the Catholic Church, but many churches today, even in leaderships, um, sometimes when something like that happens, when whether it's a pastor who cheats on his wife or something even more serious like a, uh, a rape or something of that nature, some of them are kind of swept aside. Oh, the pastor, he'll go for his little bit of a leave, but he'll be back soon. And there's not. And, and when we do that, when there's not real consequence, when there's not real demand for integrity, then what we're doing is we're setting a precedent for others to think, well, I can do this and I can get away with it. And that danger is what has caused uh, many things to become so normalized. And if we go even and to just speak about, you know, 
pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's no secret that pornography is rife within the households of believing families. There are people who you would consider very uh, strong believers who are in bondage to pornography. And of course, it's like Christina said, it's because of the culture that has been so sexualized or you can't even open Facebook without seeing things that can make a man stumble. You can't even open Instagram. You can't go on TikTok. You can't really do much without coming across imagery that no human being should really be seeing for, of, of strangers. Um, in this sense, you know, I what is ironic and sad is that, you know, we in, in the West, especially, right, there's this drive against something like abortion. And that's wonderful. It's good. That is a serious sin that needs to be addressed and fought against. But when we do that, right, what is that really? Abortion comes about because there is a sexual sin that occurred. Either it is um, sexual immorality. In other words, you slapped around and now you have a baby or uh, in some rare and, you know, other, other cases, it's rape or something of that nature. And so, Whenever there's usually a sexual sin, that's usually what what causes and leads to an unplanned pregnancy, which leads to some people deciding to have an abortion. How can we point the finger at people who want to have an abortion when we partake in the very same sexual sins that they partook in that led them to that situation where they want to have an abortion? You see, like it is good to fight for justice and to fight for the lives of others. But at the same time, if we want to point the finger at these sinners quickly, but we neglect completely to address the sin in our own house, under our own roof, in our churches and households alike, even in our church leaderships, then what are we doing? Why would anyone want to actually consider what we have to say and take it seriously and and repent of their sins? We are supposed to become be a holy and pure example. What is so grievous about this addiction is that not only after you look at something, there's that guilt, there's that shame, there's that like, you know, just feeling of disgust and dirtiness, right? Which is in some ways the Holy Spirit convicting you. You want to numb that sort of feeling oftentimes by going back into it or something else or another drug to kind of numb those feelings of shame and conviction. But what that breeds in you as you're starting to silent the Holy Spirit, silence his voice of conviction against, you know, against the sin is that you become numbed to his voice in your life. The more you go after, the more you do it, the more you um, excuse it. And, you know, many of us in different areas in our lives, we've experienced what it is to silence the Holy Spirit's voice and so that we start to not hear it in our lives. But something serious about pornography that isn't usually talked about is that engaging in this so-called innocent pastime that has become the norm. You are also unconsciously or consciously supporting the sex trafficking industry because many images, videos, and so on, you don't know where they came from, what drugs were put upon the person or persons in the video, and you are actually supporting a horrific slave industry. Whether you realize it or not, it does not matter. How can we as believers ignore this real and you're also supporting the abortion industry of itself because a lot of the people you're watching are engaging in these acts and many of those very acts will be leading to babies being aborted so you simply partaking watching Mm -hmm. you are promoting you are you are supporting you're you're just viewing it you know on the internet everything's about clicks everything is about that you are supporting that in other words that industry supported by you a believer now Mm -hmm. and that industry destroys lives and And you partake in that destruction of lives by simply supporting that industry and this is serious it needs to be more serious in our minds than it is we've downplayed it we've we call like oh well it's everyone's battle to you know struggling with lust and oh a little bit here a little bit there isn't too bad but it's like if you just murdered someone here and there it's not too bad right (laughs) If you just stole here and there, it's not too bad. But of course, even as we know, pornography and uh, viewing this kind of material, it does change the way your brain thinks. That we have this sort of um, expectation now in our relationships, in our marriages, of what it needs to look like. And we have certain things that are 
also perverted that we start desiring and the way that we see others, we lose respect for them, for their autonomy, for their bodies. We don't see them as the way God sees them. We tend to see them as objects because of course that's mm. what pornography does to your brain. They are an object that will satisfy or please you or make you happy. Mm. And how much does that steal from you but also from future relationships and marriages and from that future person or your current spouse that you're with, how that steals and takes away from something that should be beautiful. I mean, and uh, you know, what you said earlier about a murder, you equated like murder be a serious sin. And some people may say, well, Christina, you know, mm. murder is something else. Pornography is not that bad. But mm. I want to remind everyone that your standard doesn't matter. What God said is what matters. And he said that when you uh, commit adultery, right, you are, there's a death penalty for that, it's stoning. The, the death penalty of stoning is also applied to murder, right? So to cheat on your spouse is got the same consequence under God's civil society as murdering, okay? Murdering, committing adultery, same consequences under God's eyes. He considers it, you, we don't, but he considers it to be on the same level. Now, when you look at a woman with lust, Yeshua, Jesus comes and says that's adultery of the heart. He, he says that is still adultery. Just because you didn't commit the physical act doesn't mean it's not as, you know, whatever. No, he says it's still the act. Now, I want to just read uh, Job 31 verse 9. If my heart has been enticed towards a woman and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind grain, that is make food for another, and let others bow down to on her. For that would be a heinous crime. That would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For that would be a fire that consumes as far as Abaddon, and it would burn to the root all my increase. God literally says in the book of Job that in partaking in adulteries and sexual immoralities, your wealth, your increase will be burned to the root. He says literally, he will come after, dear man, listen, he will, you, you prize your career, you, you prize your wealth, you prize your social standing, everything you've worked for. God says, I'm coming after that if you forsake the wife of your youth for something else. That is what he says. That is as serious as a word that can, as it can be. Um, so I would love to see more churches actually preaching against pornography. I would love to see more pastors actually preaching against adulteries. Instead, we see the opposite, unfortunately, in some few cases. I'm going to jump mm -hmm. in. This includes women as well. Yeah. Because again, the enemy targets both the men and the women in different ways. Absolutely. I mean, you've heard of like the term, oh, celebrity crush. Who's your celebrity crush? And there's these images that we'll find online of, you know, topless photos of guys and whatever that women might find, ooh, you know, to look at and to really lust over. And women, we need to, <laughs> where is our heart? Where are our minds? Where are our eyes? If we call ourselves a believer, what are we doing? We need some introspection as well. Mm, good. Right. Let's move on to number two today. The second sin that the church ignores, gluttony and materialism. And I think that in the West, we have become so accustomed to these things that we don't even recognize that they're not supposed to be normal. I want to just read Proverbs 30 verse 7 here. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. So now the writer here is asking two things. I'm just going to talk about one of them for now, and we'll get to the other one later. First, the, the one he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. All right, so he's saying, look, there, God, don't give me too much, lest I forget you. Don't give me too little, lest I steal from my neighbor. And so in the same manner, I want to submit to you that what has happened in the West is some of us in the wealth that we have and compared to the rest of the world, 
we have grown up in this access, this materialistic world, and it's consumed us, it's distracted us, and we get all about climbing the corporate ladder and we forget about climbing Jacob's ladder. That is Yeshua, that's Jesus, he is the ladder. We, we don't climb him, we don't depend on him to exalt us. We depend on exalting ourselves through our what we want, what we can get, instead of humbling ourselves before the Lord so that he can exalt us. But of course, one of the issues, I think, in this sin, this of gluttony, of materialism, is often from a motive of trying to uh, gain acceptance or, or affection or you know to find success in the way that the world um, lays out for us by a certain beauty standard, by how much money or by what you look like, by keeping up with the Joneses kind of saying. Oftentimes it can be trying to find purpose in our lives. We chase after all these things because we're trying to feel fulfilled because there's something missing. And the issue is that, of course, you can talk to many people who have done this, that you can fill your lives with yachts, <laughs> with penthouses, with whatever that the world can offer, traveling the world, but you're always left wanting more. It doesn't fulfill. You don't reach a point where you're like, okay, I've made it. No, you still need something more. You still need one more pair of collector's shoes. You still need whatever that might be to feel like you've made it because the issue here is that nothing this world has to offer will bring you that fulfillment that you desire. There is a God-shaped hole in your heart that only Yeshua can fill. Mm, Yeshua called himself the living waters. And so, you know, I think a lot of that unfulfillment, that, uh, un, you know, not being happy, not, you know, truly, truly fulfilled, truly happy, not just, I'm not talking about a temporary you know, I bought myself a new car, I'm happy, or I'm talking about like that true lasting st stability. You know, Yeshua says, Jesus, he says, I'm living water. He equates himself to water. And when you are speaking with him, that is when you are praying, when you are in relationship, just like when I speak to my wife, there is a a cultivating of a relationship that is grown, it's nurtured in the same way that is nurtured and grown of our relationship with God when we spend time with Him, when we simply speak with Him. And that is like tasting a drink, having a drink of water on a very dry mouth that is very thirsty. And that cannot come from a spouse or wealth or any career or anything in the world or children. It can come only from your relationship with God, that whole. And that's how this all connects with gluttony, because when you think about like Esau in the Bible who sold his birthright to his brother for some stew, like that is a gluttonous desire for, well, let me just get something to eat. I'll sell even my spiritual God-given calling for that very thing. And that's why it's so, it goes so hand in hand, gluttony over consumption, whether it's by eating, whether it's by buying just a ton of stuff you don't need, by just overspending, by, and that's why we have a debt crisis in, in America. Uh, all of these things are simply symptoms of this issue of people who are hungry and who are searching, but they're hungry for Yeshua. They're searching for Yeshua. And this is what Paul talked about in Philippians uh, 4 verse 12. And we read the following. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Mm -hmm. Yeshua is the secret. And, you know, another thing that when we think of gluttony and materialism is oftentimes it isn't always with the motive to um, to build up ourselves in our own kingdoms. So there can be certainly that sometimes it is to numb the pain of past trauma or, or depression, anxiety, stress, that you're trying to uh, find joy, find happiness by buying a lot of things because that makes you, it gives you a little bit of a high of a moment of momentary pleasure to sort of mask the, the, the loneliness you're feeling in your heart, the, the pain, the whatever that might be. Um, but again, you're looking for answers in something that won't ever actually answer your problem. And I can't tell you how many times where I have felt overwhelmed, stressed, depressed, even just, you know, just feeling all these things lonely where 
yeah, I can go do things. I can make myself a nice meal and I can feel that moment here. Like, okay, I feel a little bit better now, but it is only in going to the father, like actually spending time with him in prayer and worship that I can't even explain it. Just the amount of peace, the amount of joy that fills my soul that nothing else can. It, it, it goes beyond words. And if you've never experienced that, I would encourage you go to God and say, God, here I am. I need you. Please help me. Amen. That's a really good word. And I think, you know, this brings us to our next one. Slander, gossip, lying, misinformation. Uh, in this age of social media where we each have our own big loudspeaker and platform, um, we have an age where there is more slander, more gossip, more misinformation, more lies than ever before. We each have a responsibility as believers that is so much higher than anyone else in this world to whatever we post, whatever we share, we must have as scripture mandates the two to three witnesses that confirms it as to be true. If we just share something without verifying, we're putting our stamp of approval, our stamp of being a believer and the stamp of Yeshua really because of who we are onto that. And if it's not true, we are found out to be a liar. Even if you're not intentionally lying, you remain a liar if you did not do due diligence. And that causes your reputation, not only your reputation, but then God's reputation to be hurt. And so uh, Proverbs 30, verse 7, we read um, the following. We see two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. This is the, the first one. He, he made, the other one he mentioned there. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Mm. Right. And of course, maybe you can share a little bit yeah. about like slander and so on as well. Some yeah, something that we've overlooked in regards to gossip, to slander, to sharing speculation, to sharing rumors, all those, you know, exciting, juicy details on the internet shared by our friends or things that we find ourselves online is that if they are not 100% verified as factual, again, like PD said, we're putting God's name on the line because we as believers are saying this is okay to do. And I believe in Yeshua. I'm a follower of Christ. And this is something that is okay as a follower of Christ to do. And I think that is one example of taking God's name in vain. It is misusing who we are, representing him and abusing that. I have seen people on Facebook share screenshots of someone from a YouTube video mid-movement. They're in the middle of moving. But that screenshot seems to show that, that person might have been making an Illuminati move or symbol or something because they were in the middle of moving and they were halfway blinking their eyes. And so they look kind of <laughs> questionable because they were like on a half blink. And I have seen posts made like this as crazy it is, as it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I've blinked before in a weird way. If you pause the video <laughs> like somewhere and sometimes when we move, like, uh, you know, we make all kinds of hand signs when if you pause in the right way, yeah. you'll find it. But that doesn't necessarily mean like someone's part of the Illuminati. It may just mean they're human. And the issue is, is that when we start to look for a demon under every rock, you will probably find something because you're looking and in that way your mind and the enemy can even create things that are not there. And then the moment we go onto Facebook to share and say, aha, I found something. Look how evil or creepy or whatever this person is. And yet we don't even know that person. We haven't gone to ask them to speak with them personally as is biblical protocol. We haven't even gone to double check if that was even true, that that's something our friends shared is even accurate. And then we go on to share it with our 200 friends or whatever, and they all go, wow, amen. Oh, I didn't know that. And now we've bore, we, we're now bearing false witness and actually slander, gossip, we don't realize it, some of us, but it is serious in scripture. It is the same as murder, murdering with our tongues, with our mouths, because you are destroying someone's character, who they are, their reputation. And what is even worse is when we do that to fellow believers for no reason at all, except to get likes, to get comments. Mm. The scripture says that the one who cannot tame his tongue, his religion is worthless. Like that's a mm. huge statement. Yeah. Okay. So like imagine everything you do, your, your, your religion, right? All the Sabbaths you keep, all the feast days you keep, all the things you do, all the things you like to think of that is good. 
God says it's worthless to me if you cannot control, if you cannot tame your tongue, if you cannot prohibit your tongue from speaking lies, falsehood, if you cannot think before you speak, if you speak before thinking, you will fall into a pit. And God says that for him is super serious. And like Christina said, it is equated to murder. It is one of the things that the Lord hates. And I'm going to jump onto that. And I want to just say this. Dear women, this is something I have seen many of us fall into online. It seems to be maybe easier for us as women sometimes to, to talk and to share. And that can be used for good or for evil. <laughs> and I have seen, we have both seen, uh, unverified information often shared. And to, I'm speaking now to women, be careful in what you share. Don't just share because it looks interesting and it seems to support your point of view without verifying, without going to multiple sources. Why are you sharing it? What is your motive behind it? I would encourage you to just stop Pray about it before you make any post, before you share anything, and ask the Father, is this something you actually should be sharing? Or is this something that you can just look into, pray about yourself? That's fine. Um, if there's actual facts and evidence out there, I'm not saying you can't share if there's actually something that is evil in the world. Of course not. But the danger is, is when we quickly jump at sharing uh, um, sensationalism and uh, memes that look interesting, but we don't even know if it's true. And we have Facebook timelines filled with information that rarely talks about Yeshua, but just about all the, the evil and wickedness and occultism of the government and of this um, person and that person. Where is our focus? If someone, if an unbeliever comes across our timelines, and of course this is for men too, um, it's for anyone, but if an unbeliever comes across our timelines, will they be led to the truth, the love of Yeshua, to the gospel of Yeshua? Is that something that is so apparent? Will they be led to, like as scripture says, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. When we see sin in the world, we want those sinners, the people who are walking in evil, we want them to repent. If that person came across our timeline, would they be drawn to repentance or would they now see that you're slandering and assassinating them verbally that they would want nothing to do with you or the God you say you serve. Mm, and I would just add to that, it's excellent, um, that if there is information that supports your viewpoint, even like that's something that you didn't want to share more, right? Because it's like, yes, this, this supports what I have been thinking or what I want to be true. Now, when you want something to be true, that is even more caution for you to do research and ensure that what the facts you're sharing are indeed true because your bias of it wanting to be true cannot make something true. Your bias of wanting something to be true is not what gives you permission to proclaim it to be true. You must only share that which is true. And that bias that we each have, we have to be careful of so that we aren't informed well, we don't inform, let, let our bias be what determines truth, but let truth be what determines the truth. As scripture says, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing before our Father, so that every word we speak, the things that we share on Facebook or Twitter, wherever we are in person, that they be pleasing and that they, in the end, give glory to the God we serve. This brings us to the number four sin that the church ignores. That is of righteousness, pride, and hypocrisy. When we use the Bible as a weapon instead of a mirror, when we fail to see our own sins, the fact that every day is enough to send us to hell if we didn't have Yeshua, that, our, that even though we try to walk like he does, we still fall short and we do need him. When we start thinking like, oh, wow, I, I'm doing such a great job. Oh, I'm so holy. Oh, God, I thank you. I'm not like those other men who, who don't do this or that commandment that I do keep. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you that I'm so much better than they are. Right. When this becomes our mentality and heart, 
hard and it's so easy for the religious man to fall into that, then what ends up soon following is the pointing of the finger to judge the salvation of others, to be on the throne of God and to try and determine, oh, this person is not saved and that person is not saved and this person is here and that person is there. God said that the kingdom of God is going to be very unexpected for a lot of us. That we're going to expect certain people to be high up or going to be low and certain people who are going to be who we think should be low or are going to be high in his kingdom because we he's high above our ways and he judges in deeper manners than what we do. We are surface level. We are shallow in our judgments, but he is thorough. And so, brothers and sisters, do not be blinded by pride and, and, and consider your works as more holy than they are. But consider the word of God as a mirror that shows you really what you look like. And then that creates a humility of, wow, God, I will compare to Yeshua. God, I need you so much. Lord. There's so much that that I that in so many ways that I still fall short. And then that brings us to a place where we can have more compassion of others who do fall short, have love for them and try and reach them with the truth, even where we do recognize they do fall short. And, you know, for this, this sin of hypocrisy, self-righteousness and pride, we see in this generation and it has been in every generation. But of course, we see it now, I feel like even more than ever. The younger generation, the youth who are leaving the faith, but let it not be that they are leaving the faith because they're leaving your sin. That they're running away from God because they are running away from your sin, your hypocrisy, your pride, which has disgusted them, which has hurt them, which has caused trauma, which has caused pain. Let it not be that our own sin, our own actions is what is pushing them away. So we need to get this right. We need to do self-introspection. And it's hard. <laughs> it is hard. But there's a reason why Yeshua spent so much time addressing this issue, this sin, and saying, hey, you know what? You can be beautiful on the outside. You can have whatever it means to look right and holy. But if the inside is not humble, is not loving, is not compassionate, does not have all the fruits of the Spirit, you're full of dead man's bones. And you know, it's easy for us in the whole Bible movement, as we might call ourselves, and the whatever you want to call yourself in a label, to say, well, someone else, as PD mentioned, isn't keeping the laws that I'm keeping. Henceforth, they are lawless. But they might be keeping laws you're not keeping, so they could say the same thing back to you and say, you're lawless. But the issue is, have we gone to the Bible and said, everything Yeshua did, let me now do, let me look like him, not just in the fact that he kept Sabbath, but yes, keeping Sabbath as our Messiah did, but also how he had the love and compassion for the sick, for the brokenhearted, to go and to give them love, compassion, to get bring healing, to cast out demons that were not on either side of whatever uh, area that we've um, looked into of his life, that we're not pointing the finger, but saying, rather, God, how can I look more like you? How can I walk more in humility? How can I walk more in love and in boldness and in righteousness and holiness? But foremost, Father, how can I serve you and look like you? Mm, that's good. And one last aspect regarding pride and hypocrisy and so forth is really within ministries and churches itself. You know, Yeshua warned against letting the rich man have the front row seat at the feast and and not treating people equally. And, and that often happens. Things like that are just symptoms, really of a ministry that tries to build its own kingdom, to try and build something for itself instead of for God. Because then we try and take shortcuts. Then we try and 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 manipulate people. Then we try and pull strings. We invite someone and, and put out the red carpet because we know they have a lot of money to give. We do all kinds of things to manipulate. And that uh, not only disgusts me, but I know it disgusts our father because we know that he says treat everyone the same. In fact, treat the poor even better. If anything, that's what he hints at, because he says when you have a party, invite the poor, not the rich. Invite those who, who are never invited. That's what he is after. And that's what ministry is supposed to be. And if it's that, God will exalt you. God will bless you. God will bring in whatever is needed and provide whatever is needed. But you're trying to do it yourself by going after things with human intention and human ideas. That really is a pride issue where 
it has now become a business. It has now become something I'm building. It's become a corporate ladder and we make connections because we want um, we want to grow our influence and so forth and so forth. Why do we do the things we do? Put it all on the altar and churches and ministers alike should make sure that they're 100% in for him, sacrificed and not try and just build something on the side for themselves alongside building God's kingdom. It's all or nothing for Yeshua. Now, this brings us to our next one, next sin that we want to explore, and that is abuse in the home. You know, I I think I can start off by just talking a little bit about like men. Christina, maybe you can share about women Mm. and we can take it from there. Uh, I think abuse in men is something that's been very kind of neglected because it's not cool for men to talk about this. Um, You know, society teaches many to be strong, many to kind of just bite their teeth and go through whatever. Men are not men don't cry, you know, that whole thing. And men really cannot be abused is really the the underlying thought there. But I want to submit to you that abuse in a, in a marriage can come upon a man in ways that you wouldn't often think about. You know, we, we can think about the obvious, well, a, a woman, a wife hitting a man, that's certainly an issue and that's certainly abuse. Um, but even the wife who who degrades her husband who gossips about her husband behind her husband's back, who disrespects her husband openly before him and others, the woman who who even disregards the authority of the husband as the head of the household, strips him of his leadership and takes it for herself and says, I will be the leader. Now, look, There is a place when a man is not a believer and he cannot lead and isn't leading for a wife to step up and take spiritual leadership in a family. And that's needed sometimes out of necessity. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is when a husband is a believer, comes along and and wants to be a leader, but then the wife comes and doesn't allow him. But as we would say today, where's the pants in the relationship that God never intended it to be that way. God intended the man to be the leader and him and that's what creates a healthy family structure and so when you take that from your husband because maybe the wife has a stronger personality she's more extroverted more charismatic and the man's a bit more shy that doesn't mean he can't lead though so just because you have a stronger voice doesn't mean you're a stronger leader and just because you have a stronger voice doesn't mean that you're the designated leader that god has designated for that family and so, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that um, these things can be real problems. And of course, then the classic things like, and this can go for men or women, when the individual doesn't take responsibility for their own sins, that can start becoming, uh, forming an abusive household. Like when a husband is becomes an alcoholic or a wife becomes an alcoholic, when there is a lack of relationship with God personally, then that starts spreading into the family and abusive behavior start forming. So, you know, that's just... Some things I can share just about men here that aren't conventional, but definitely things that we must think about, especially ladies um, in your household. Yeah, in regards to what you're saying in regards to how women can be and have been and in some situations certainly are abusive emotionally, verbally, and all these different things. Of course, we know it happens in the other direction where men are Mm -hmm. abusive physically, emotionally, uh, narcissistic, and all of these things that degrade, that tear down their spouse, that they should be Mm. serving, they should be uplifting. There should be um, a co-equal partnership where you're not, someone's not, as Peter said, or as Petey said, wow, I just called you Peter. (laughs) Um, The husband who is the leader. Oh, my name is Peter too. (laughs) But as a leader, that does not mean that you are standing on the head or the neck of your wife. She is not a doormat. She is not your servant. She is not an object. She is someone that you are, as a servant leader, to protect, to care for, to to hold her hand, and to, I love the image of um, 
two like uh, soldiers holding swords back to back. They each have each other's back as they're fighting the attacks of the enemy. And that is the union that a husband and wife should have. Um, but of course we see in so many cases within the church where there is an abusive husband who is uh, mistreating the wife, who is um, making demands of his wife, who is harming her emotionally, physically, and so on, or harming the children even. Uh, there's, you know, there's a molestation of children in the homes and the churches that have been covered up, that have been silenced, because when it's brought to the attention of the leadership in the churches, it's sort of like, oh, well, maybe as a wife you weren't submitting enough. Maybe if mm -hmm. you just give him more sex, he'll kind of calm down, right? Maybe if you need to um, look prettier, smell prettier, make him nicer meals, then he won't have eyes looking to other women. Maybe he won't sleep around if you as a wife were just a better person. And we tend to blame the victim instead of actually talking to the person who's at fault and bringing them to the place of, hey, hold a second, right. what are you doing? Is this right? No, it right. is not. Right. And that's, I think it's key to get both sides of every story. You know, that's a big problem in household issues, you know, domestic issues is, you know, you can have the wife or the husband going to the pastor, but really you're only getting one side of the story. And so it's very important for spiritual leaderships to approach the other party as well and actually have a dialogue that's open between everyone so that there's open communication so you can really get to the bottom of what the issues is because usually someone is more wrong than someone else but usually everyone is also wrong at something at the same time and that is important to recognize because we all need to learn and make corrections in our marriages and our households as necessary you know i just had someone write in actually a month or so ago an email where there was a lady who who sent in an email and she asked you said you know uh something happened in my church you know, and then they just kicked me out you know and there was just a a a kicking out of one person and the other person who was involved wasn't actually addressed because they were part of the leadership family of the church right so there's this treating people better than others because of standing in the church, because of being an elder, because, because of, of being like well-liked, well-loved, protecting the abuser instead of actually fighting for the justice and the protection of the victim. And that is something we as a church, we as a body of believers, fellowship doesn't matter what kind, of what kind of congregation you have. This is so important. And also to have a safe place where people can talk about this and they can share and they can have a uh, support they can have shelter, uh, whatever is needed to uh, be able to have, whether it be restoration in a home, if it's counseling, but also so that if there is a dangerous environment that we're not sort of making it, um, sweeping it under the rug because it's uncomfortable, but we're dealing with it as it needs to be dealt with for the safety and protection of those as leaders under our care, as those we are supposed to serve and help and protect as the body of Messiah. Amen. That's a good word. I'm going to move on and just read this here in 1 Corinthians 5:11. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual morality, greed, idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to each with such a one. But what have I to do with judging outsiders or unbelievers? Is it not those inside whom we are to judge? God judges those outside. But as for us, we perch the evil person from among us. And I just have to say that this sin honestly makes me so angry because I have seen how abuse in the home has destroyed so many lives. It has caused so many broken marriages, of course, but also just the children, the impact it has on them as they see this, as they experience this, and how the church has the leadership has brushed it away, has minimized it, has belittled it, or has sort of just ignored it because it's uncomfortable, it's awkward. How the pastor who who slept with an underage person is sort of like, well, that's okay, shame, it's the pastor, but we're here for you, pastor. Meanwhile, the person who was actually sinned against is pushed to the back of the room and ignored and forgotten, or even required to leave the church. And our children see this and they are disgusted, rightfully so, because this is hypocritical, this is evil, and this needs to be addressed, this needs to be spoken about. We need to make sure that before God, we are faultless in this area and that we are doing everything we can to help families to give support for families but also to help that a family structure remember that that our lives as believers 
It starts in the home, your relationship with your husband, your father, your mother, your wife, right? You can't go out into the streets and proclaim the gospel if you're meanwhile at home belittling and degrading your husband. I mean, you can, but you'd be a hypocrite. You can't do all these things and have an outward appearance. And yet, where is your uh, at-home life? What are you doing? Where are you standing before God? And that is something we as a church, as a body of Messiah, we need to look at seriously. I mean, that is so important. Abuse should be taken seriously. I would like to now go and to our next point here. And we're at our last two. I hope you're ready for this one, though. The merging of political and spiritual identities. I want to submit to you that, you know, I could at least speak for what I have witnessed in America, but I, I am confident it is the case in many other countries. You know, when we allow our dedication to our country to become more important than our dedication to our faith, and something is amiss. And, you know, tagging on to that is this claim I have seen um, circulating around Facebook that America is actually Israel, that the nation in the Middle East calling itself Israel isn't Israel, that it is actually America, and that Babylon is Texas or something crazy like that. And this strange doctrine teaching circulating and being shared by people who are excited for the next new thing, who love hearing juicy tidbits that they've never heard before reminds me of the men on Mars Hill that Paul spoke to. This is another example of a politicized faith where we have now even (laughs) rejected Israel, the land that God said he placed his name. And all the archaeology, all the, I mean, it just, it's, it's silly, it's illogical, but there is still a group of people who are pushing this by uplifting and glorifying um, America to such an extent that we have idolized it. And now we're even uh, misrepresenting scripture and abusing scripture itself by trying to fit our opinion, our ideas into it to create this warped mutant concept of faith. And that is, it's embarrassing. Do we have a heart of humility (laughs) and biblical accuracy and staying away from silly rumors and claims such as this one? God forbid you have an American flag at every doorstep, but you don't have the values of Christ on the doorstep of your life. It is important, more important for you to have Christ than for you to be a patriot. It is nothing wrong with being passionate about your country. There's nothing wrong with being uh, uh, proud of your country. However, when it's taken to a place where our sermons in church becoming become a political rally, and it sounds like one, then really, what are we preaching? Yeshua did not come as a political figure. He came as a Messiah, and he has called us to proclaim the Messiah, not a political figure. There's nothing wrong with being in politics. There's nothing wrong with 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 being uh, involved. Absolutely not. However, there is something wrong when our Messiah is a political figure. There is something wrong when we put that responsibility on a political government that is supposed that we are supposed to be crying out to God to do in our country, depending on him to work in our country. Our battle is not against a political party because the Bible says that it said our battle is not against flesh and blood, but other types of principalities that are spiritual leaderships that are spiritual And so in that sense, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that we have to be careful as to really how we are influenced by politics. Because when you think about voting, right, for a political party, because you vote according to what party upholds God's commandments more good, You need to be voting for a party that upholds God's commandments as much as possible. However, if that become if that party becomes so important to you that they are the determiner of where you place priority, then you are not you are not worshiping God. You're worshiping a party. When you let that party determine, well, this is an important value. That's an important value. And this and that value, therefore, is not as important. 
then you aren't following God. Because see, what happens in politics is you have a party and they have their speaking notes, their bullet points, the things that they're standing for, the things that the reasons why you need to vote for them. And then you have the opposition party and they have the things that they stand for and the reasons you need to vote for them. And then these two parties, they bash each other and they say, well, those points aren't valid or important. But the problem is, is we get so passionate about our party that we fail to understand that sometimes the other party actually even has points, whereas they that they're promoting, whether they're going to fulfill it or not, that's another question. But if they talk about things like the environment, if they talk about things like pollution, if they talk about things of that nature, and we say, no, 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 that's not important. We're actually saying to the world, we don't care about the environment. Now, even though, you know, we're just going on this little thing here right now, even though you may not agree with how the opposition party tackles that issue or how they see the issue, you must be careful as to not toss it aside completely and act like there is no issue because God did give us dominion over Eden and to look after the garden, to look after the environment. How we do that, we may not agree with other parties on, but we cannot say, well, the opposition party, they don't, they, they, that is their talking point. So let's push against that. Let's not even pay attention to that because now it destroys our witness for standing for everything God has us stand for. And we're not just subject to being standing for the things that a certain party stands for. We actually are serving God. Just get this point, if nothing at all, that your party is not what is supposed to be determining what you're passionate about. The Bible is. God is, and God is the determiner of truth, not a political candidate. Now, I have heard people in uh, ministry leadership joke, make light, and make commentary about, ugh, the people who are into um, helping the environment, ugh, those people, as though they are foolish and stupid. We might not agree in all the ways that one party, whatever, decides to do it. But when we mock, when we belittle, or when we make jokes about how, well, pollution, I don't care about whatever because, well, if they're for that, I'm certainly going to be against it. Mm -hmm. Those who are listening in on our conversations go like, how can that be a good thing? And if you say you're a believer and you follow God, well, I don't want anything to do with your God because, you know, it's obvious that we should take care of this world that our father has given us and when we as believers make it a point to politicize our faith mm. that's when it becomes wrong and a horrible witness to our king lest we forget when yeshua came everyone was looking for him to be the, new, the next judah maccabee to deliver them and to save them from the romans which was the evil uh ruling leadership government of their time and their day because yeah they they were evil they had issues and they were oppressing the you know the people of israel and god's people but that isn't why Yeshua came. As we know, he came to give a greater freedom, a spiritual freedom that would actually set not just the physical captive free, but the spiritual, the emotional, all these things, that captive free, as Yeshua said in Luke chapter four. And so when we come to Yeshua and Jesus, when we politicize our faith, looking mm -hmm. for, in a sense, a Judah Maccabee who would save us from whatever political party we're against or mm. whatever evil government, mm. whatever president, and we make that our symbol and our battle cry, we forget why Yeshua did come because the change that we desire in our country, in our nation, in our world comes from a changed heart. And that is what Yeshua came to preach. And that is what we as believers and as a church need to do as well. I mean, ironically, it is that what you just said, you know, where in the first century, Yeshua did not come as the political figure they wanted him to be, right? They wanted him to be a political uh, king who comes to save them from Rome. He came as a Messiah. Today, the same thing people are trying to make Yeshua. They're trying to still make him a political issue where he's come to be a savior of the world. He's not here to be, be your political party. He's here to be your God. And that's a very different thing. And that... He wants to rule and he is the king and he has a say, but to connect a party with him to say this party is uh, represents the interests of our father. What we're saying is we're really putting making 
the party or God. And when that party does make mistakes, and they will because kings always fail us, then the world will point to that and say, we don't want anything to do with your God because it's a human God. Really, that's the underlying message that is received. And that's why we have to be so careful of misrepresenting our father through all of this. And the last thing I guess we can just say on this is that we're not saying you can't be involved in the political realm, in uh, um, leaderships and governments. And that's a good thing because of course we as God's people, we should be involved. As uh, someone very wise once said, um, evil continues when good men do nothing. Of course we should be involved, but we must remember which kingdom are we uplifting? Amen. Right. Let's go on to our last point here. And that is laziness and indifference in the church regarding issues. And something I'll just start off with right now is saying there's so often this sort of mindset of we see the, the issues in the world, the hurts, the pains, the poor person, the person who was abused. And we're like, God, why don't you do something? God, if you are you know, if you were a truly loving God, a all powerful God, why wouldn't you have stopped this or done that? God, why don't you do something? And God responds and says, I did. I created you. Absolutely. You know, that's comes in the big picture like that. And it's even in the smaller picture with us in our fellowship. Are you involved actually, or do you expect the pastor to do everything, to make disciples, to baptize, to lead the Bible study, to preach, to, to, you know, be an evangelist and everything else that is ministry. That is the old, may I dare say, Roman Catholicism idea and teachings that are that that basically exclude the body of Christ from participation in ministry itself, where the the idea that Yeshua communicated through Peter that we are all priests, we're all supposed to be a ministry, we're all supposed to be temples of the Holy Spirit. That idea falls by the wayside when we get lazy and indifferent, when we put it all on one person and we don't actually take up the mantle and the responsibility to become what God has called us to become all in him. Because it is so easy to point the finger and be sitting on our couch or I mean, we're busy with things in our own life, of course, mm. but to be like, well, why aren't you doing this? There's someone uh. I mean, I'll give this example, but our ministry, we love to pray for people and see them get healed to walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But something that we've seen at times when we've gone to events is that there is someone who needs prayer and we have someone who will come up to us and will say, Petey, Christina, there's someone over there. They need your prayer. Please pray for them. And that's fine. You know, that's fine to tell us that. But often what we'll say back is that that's great that you've noticed this. How about you go pray for them? <laughs> because that is actually something God has called you to as well. That is not something that we can just, you know, there's not someone who's better at this. The way that you get more comfortable, more bold is by stepping out and doing it also yourself and not just looking for someone else to do it because God is calling you. There's no hierarchy. There's no one who's more special or whatever. God is calling you also to step out and to look like Yeshua. Absolutely. So, guys, I really hope that this has blessed you uh, today. We've gone through seven sins that the church ignores. Some of these, maybe one or two, or maybe applicable to your church, maybe applicable to your fellowship. Uh, I think all of us can find something here that we can learn from to be better believers and represent because that's ultimately it's all about representing him better, being a better witness of the gospel, its message itself. And I really hope that this has done this. I, I would like to pray for us all regarding this and ask the father to come and change our fellowships, heal us. And as we come to him in repentance, so uh, father, Lord, we ask Father, that you would hear our cry, Lord, that you would come and heal our land, heal our churches, mm. heal, heal our fellowships, our homes. Yes. Uh, of the abuses, of the neglects, of the things that you deem important and valuable, the weightier matters of the law. Father, I ask, Lord, you would bring your Holy Spirit and set people free, Father, from their ways of thinking, their bondages, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Uh, Father, I pray that you would put our 
priorities where yours are, that we would see the world and people the way that you see them, and that we would not slander, we would not gossip, we would not be self-righteous, we would not be abusers, Mm. that we would not treat a political party as our God, and that we would not be lazy. And Father, I pray, Lord, for you to help us put off our materialisms and our addictions, Father, to sexual immoralities and so forth, Father. I thank you, Lord, for the deliverance and the power that you have. We submit ourselves to you. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If this video has blessed you, consider partnering with us by going to riseonfire.com, which makes these videos possible. This is a lot of work, but you partners make it possible. Thank you so much for your support. Many blessings to you. Shalom.